You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. For uh, your generosity and um, for your willingness to let Annie come with us, we're just always uh, delighted to be here. And um, we're just thinking a few days ago that uh, we were here 2019, just right before all this stuff, you know. And then we were back last May. It just feels like yesterday. You've done so much. The room looks great. Uh, you face some challenges, but it's going to be worth it, right? The basement's going to be phenomenal, and you're going to move to another level uh, of uh, being able to minister to children. I love your pastor. He's like a son to me. Uh, Jacqueline's like a daughter. I'm just uh, absolutely overwhelmed. You have no idea how similar you are to Hutchinson, Kansas. And I know you're sitting there going, oh, there's no way. <laughs> We're New Yorkers. No, <laughs> no you're, 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 you're just ordinary people. That's, that's what you are. And uh, I get on the phone with Bill and I start listening to Bill and I start telling him some stuff. And he goes, how'd you know that? And I said, because they're just like home. It's just the same church. You sing a little different music from time to time, but you, you feel and respond and react the same way to the same things. And uh, I couldn't help but sense, uh, music is such a part of my life, and I couldn't help but sense in the worship service a certain um, feeling in the room, certain emotion in the room. And you know, most people, uh, we're not really good at identifying our emotions. We, we, we can only... We really can only identify about three. I mean, we're either, we're either sad, right? If somebody asks, well, we're sad or we're mad. And those are pretty easy to, to see. Or the third one is we're happy. And we don't get much deeper in, in understanding our emotions. So we're either sad or we're mad or we're happy. But there's about 187 identifiable emotions in the human psychic. And uh, you can't take all of those and just reduce them down to these three emotions. Uh, see, I can be stressed without being overwhelmed. But if I don't know that, the minute I get stressed, I'm just overwhelmed. And so I have to learn and understand my own feelings and my own emotions in order to be able to rightly discern what's going on in my life. Because even though we think we're intellectual, we really are not. You do not respond intellectually to the last two years. No one has. From the top down, no one has responded intellectually. We respond emotionally. We respond by how it makes us feel. And uh, so there is this uh, foreboding feeling that has continued to pervade throughout uh, the last couple of years, and I don't know whether you can, I know you can, as I say it, you're going, and, and it's just fatigue. We just get tired. We can't even tell you what we're tired of. We're just tired. We slept well last night, right? Most of us slept six, seven, eight hours, but we wake up and it's like, oh, please don't use that word again. You know, that, you know, that C word, don't use that word again. And, uh, and don't tell us anymore about variants and don't tell us what the new, you know, we're, we're just tired, right? We, it, we don't care if it's normal. We just want it to be quiet. <laughs> I've gave up on normal. I just want people to shut up. <laughs> I, right? 
And, uh, and if we're not careful, we, we slip into this, this state of kind of a numb fatigue and, and we can't really feel the energy of the Lord. And if you're like me, I have to feel the energy of the Lord. I need to feel the move of the Spirit somewhere crawling up my, my back. I mean, come on, there has to be a riff on the guitar or the bass, or someone's got to hit a note that helps me to overcome this feeling. And this is not my sermon, so you're going to get stuck with just my whatever, and then you're going to get the sermon, so just hang on. Uh, I hope they've got plenty for the children this morning. Um, but as we were singing or crying or wishing or hoping this morning in the song service, it, all I could think of was Oliver Twist. I, I just kept hearing Oliver Twist. Please, sir, give me some more. And I remember Dickens as he wrote that story of those abused orphans and, and, and the orphan had had the audacity to ask for more. You see, Oliver Twist got to that place in his life that he was so fatigued at being poor, so fatigued at being down and out, so, so that he had the courage to say, could I just have some more? You see, what fatigue does to you is take away your courage to say, I got to have a little more. I got to have it a little better. I, 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 I'm just unwilling to settle for this. And I have this sense this morning that some of you in this room and maybe even some of you at home are really unwilling to settle for this. This is not what it feels like to win. This is not what it feels like to have it all together. I'm sorry, this isn't quite good enough. I, I need a little more, sir. And I got to tell you that that theme and that I love Dickens. So I, that whole concept there has spoken to me throughout my life out of a story called Second Samuel chapter seven, when there's four lepers standing outside of the gates and the enemy is in the city and they're outside the gates and they're starving and they're waiting and they're waiting. It's kind of like Advent, and we're waiting. And we're waiting for the birth of the Christ, and we're waiting for this event to take place, and we're waiting. But I have to tell you, there's a big difference between waiting and settling. And as I sat here this morning, the Lord spoke to me in told me to tell you there's a big difference between waiting and settling. And I find a lot of people in the Christian world today who have just settled. For, well, we're, we're open. Well, we didn't die. Well, we've managed it. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm unwilling to settle. I'm unwilling to settle for surviving. I'm unwilling to settle for I'm okay. 
I'm unwilling to, at the age of nearly 64, to say I've lived 64 years to say this is good. I'm unwilling. I feel like Oliver Twist. Could I have a little more than this? Could I have a little more than what all of the pundits and all of the professionals are telling us is not bad? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm willing to take that chance of getting up and moving towards the city gates. For if we sit in this spot, we will surely die. But if we get up and charge those gates, who knows? I, I would want to tell people that are fatigued by the issues, particularly of the last several years, that it's time not to be lured to sleep by just waiting. But it is time to get up and charge the city gates. It is time to get up and move towards those gates that have kept us settled and kept us calm. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a little done with the calm. I'm a little done with having settled. And I want to tell you that there's a huge difference between waiting and settling in. And I love you. And I'm saying this to everybody I go, so it's not just, I love you, but you have settled for the security of your couch. I love some of you. <laughs> You'll get it in a minute. Come on. That's my life. I love you, but do not settle. Be able to learn how to shake off that fatigue. Come on, we used to sing this little song when I did youth camps. I'm just going to shake that thing off. And I'm going to move towards that place. Because somewhere in my faith to move, God will release his favor in a way. I'm not going to sit here and die. I refuse to sit in the fatigue and the depression and the oppression of what the world is experiencing. Because I am a member of the kingdom of heaven. And I refuse. I refuse. So my first prophetic word to you is, mm -mm, don't settle for the emotions that the world have accepted. Because the world has accepted a whole plethora of emotions that are really not the emotions of people that have been called to live abundantly and victoriously. I am fully aware that we are called to live waiting on the Lord. But at the same time, we are called not to settle for the things of this world. I have realized a long time ago that I am too much of, uh, oh, I just refuse to stay, sit, and feel bad, right? So um, my encouragement to you is get up and move. Take a step. Take a risk. Amen? There's a great uh, director. His name's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I heard him the other day, and he was uh, making this statement. They were talking about whether or not we should go back to the movies. And, uh, you know, back to the movies. Heck, I just want to get people back to church. And um, I'm having trouble getting people just to come, right? And I'm trying to find my... Um, back to church. And um, he made the statement. He said, well, there's this huge difference between watching a movie at home 
on watching a movie in the theater because there's this shared experience that goes on in a corporate setting that will never be captured in the individual reality of your home. And he's trying to push people back to movie theaters. And I'm thinking, we have to continue to say some, to some people, uh, you're going to have to not settle and you're going to have to push your way back into a corporate setting. You're going to have to push your way back. Because there is something about what takes place in this corporate setting that you just can't get at home. And if they're selling movie tickets telling you that, Okay, enough meddling on my part. Did you get it? Why don't you stand with me just a little bit then and just, and when you get, when you get through shaking it, do a little slapping at it, you know. I am tired of feeling tired all the frickin' time. I can, I'm in New York, right? And, okay, okay. Okay, now breathe real deep, breathe real, 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 real deep, breathe in the very presence of God, breathe it in real deep, and breathe out every worry, every concern, every, that's it, breathe in the very presence of God, the, the presence that created Adam and resurrected Jesus, breathe in that breath, that's it, and breathe out every thought of sickness or disease or worry. Breathe that out, breathe that out, breathe that, blow it away from you. And breathe in the very breath of the living Christ. And look at your neighbor and say, I'm feeling better already. You better get it. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This sentence first took place with, while Quinarius was governing over Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Say, all people. Hmm. Hmm. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. 
you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, giver of life, I pray this morning that the presence of the living Christ would be so real to us that we could do no less than rise into his embrace. I pray this morning that within that embrace we would find all that you are, both here and there, temporarily and eternally, living in the arms of the Father. Amen. You may be seated. Man, this is a great story, right? You ought to be able to preach every Sunday on Christmas and... (laughs) And I have people that they don't ever want me to do a Christmas story because they want me to preach some hermeneutic that will therapeutically heal their stubbed toe. Uh, But this is such a great story. The world knows the story, and yet everybody has a version of the story. And I love the scenes of the beginning of this story, and yet I'm often reminded that you never want to judge a movie by one scene, right? Right? Annie walks out of the room when certain scenes come on the movie. And I keep saying, honey, baby, you got to hang in here for the story. She says, no, I'm out. One scene. You can't judge a movie by one scene. Or or it's hard for me to keep reading a post. Because I I read one post and I think, nope, I'm defriending her. It's hard to judge somebody by one post or one Instagram or one TikTok. I mean, right? But everybody wants to evaluate their lives based on one post, one TikTok, one Twitter, one scene. And the truth of the matter is you never want to respond to the first. I mean, I have 12 grandchildren. He hit me. (laughs) She pulled my hair. Can I tell you, you don't want to bite on the first word. You will get yourself in trouble if you think one report from one five-year-old will explain what the others are doing. It's just not a good... There's always more to the story than what the eight-year-old is now telling you. Snaps and scenes and posts and tweeters. You know, I don't know. I'm all... I mean, if you think of Joseph, if if you respond to Joseph's story because he got thrown into the pit, you're going to miss the best part of the story. If you respond to Joseph's story because he got thrown into prison, you're going to miss... I mean, you got to at least wait till he gets to the palace before you begin to get a picture. I mean, if you leave David, if you leave David running from Saul, you're going to miss a big part of the story. In fact, if you, if you, if you leave David while Michael is making fun of him, you're going to miss a big part of the story. You've got, you got to follow David all the way into and out of and back again to the temple. You don't want to evaluate something based on just a few snaps of the story and the message of the birth of Christ I mean Isaiah prophesied about the birth of this child Uh, I mean that 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 virgin that first scene that virgin birth kind of thing you know Joseph was going to put her away you don't want to you don't want to check out his dream or the donkey ride right I mean if I was a woman I'd just get over it I'm out 
donkey ride in the middle of the night so that they could raise our taxes. Are you kidding? Donkey ride, swaddling clothes. I think I'd even end there. No pampers that leave me. In the manger, that scene, you see the announcement of the birth of the Christ with the angels and the heavenly host. I picked that one because that's one of my favorite. Peace on earth, upon whom my favor rests, the NIV says. Peace on earth, on those upon whom my favor rests. It was a very public announcement to a long-standing prophetic it's a very public announcement, and yet you, 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 don't want, you can't stay there because he doesn't stay in the manger. He doesn't stay in the carpenter shop. He doesn't, he doesn't stay in the wilderness, for that matter. He, he, he does miracles, but he moves beyond that, and he stands in front of Herod and Pilate and the Pharisees, and they can't get along, but he moves beyond that. And he confronts demons, and he, he faces these demonic oppressed things. He, he faces leprosy and immorality and adultery. He stands in all of that, and some followed and some didn't follow. And I mean, even, even the devil was rejoicing on Saturday, but he didn't stay in the tomb, right? He went to Galilee, but he didn't stay in Galilee. He went to the upper room, but he didn't stay in the upper room. And can I tell you, he's seated on the throne of heaven, but he ain't staying there either. This isn't the final scene. It isn't the ending scene. It's just one scene of many scenes that are woven together that will make up his story and our story and you can never separate the story of God from the story of humanity and that if you try to evaluate your story apart from the story of God you've only got part of the story because his story and your story have to be so intertwined together before it can make any sense and whatever the scene is that you're living at this moment can I tell you you need to be shouting because the scene that you're living at this moment is not the totality of your story. Right. That, that the scene that you're living is going to change. Right. That it's going to give way to another scene and another scene and another scene. And that if you're trying to evaluate your life based on this snapshot of your life, you're robbing yourself of something because there's more to the story of your life than just the scene that you're currently experiencing. Right. Something I would tell to the whole world that the last 18 months do not depict the story of God's creatures on earth. There's more to the story. This scene that we're, I mean, who, who would have ever expected 2020, 2021? No, no one, but it's going to change. The scenes are going to change and you, you need to, Annie and I, I don't know, in 1973, I think, this 12-year-old girl looks at her friend and says, I'm going to marry that boy. And, and, and now then I find myself looking at 12-year-old grandchildren going, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you could be walking the halls with your future wife. <laughs> but, but it's more important to us now than ever to tell our story to our grandchildren. The story of how we met and how we started and the house we built and the jobs we didn't take and the classes that we and and then how God spoke to us and we moved to this place and there were uh, there were people not a lot there were some people there and 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 
pop's office was in the basement and the basement was only six foot four tall and i understood why i was only five foot seven <laughs> and that out of that basement this anointing of god would find me there and it had one bath and we lived in two box cars shoved together and 54 people went way out on the limb one day and decided to build this little metal building and i, I talk about how God spoke to me to buy a used van and start going to Mexico to those people that today they call immigrants. But I started driving in 1986 to Mexico in a van that had 200,000 miles on it and would take shoes and canned beans and, and worm pills. We made 90-some trips in that van, built 52 churches and a Bible school. And, and I, I want to tell that to my children, particularly when they hear other things on the news. I want to tell them the story about how God worked in our life and during these scenes and how we would save up money because we needed to build a building because we had people at home and I'd give it away. And the board members would go, you gave it away. And I'd say, yeah, I gave it away. And they'd say, where are we going to park? I'd say, I don't know. I want to tell the story of how God's worked in our lives as we traveled illegally to Russia and to Cuba. As they didn't want to let me back in the country because I didn't have a visa. I didn't know you needed a visa. I just... <laughs> they really don't find it funny. <laughs> you've, got, you've, been, you've been to Cuba. You've been to... Uh, uh, it says here you've been to Ukraine. And, and you're, you're coming from Moscow. Uh-huh. Did you have a visa? A what? We can't let you in. What can you do? We don't know. I said, well, you've got to let me in. <laughs> I say, I want to tell those stories. I want people to understand the story of how God's worked in my life and in the lives of now the 52 countries around the world that we give some kind of oversight to. Glory to God on the highest. And on earth, peace to those upon whom his favor rests. Favor. They didn't look too favored. I mean, upon whom my favor rests. I can hear, I can just hear Mary goes, a donkey. Seriously, that's not favor. I mean, there's no room down here. That's not favor. Shepherds are the visiting people. That's not favor. I mean, see, we evaluate favors to mean all kinds of things, and yet favor is really not visible to most people. Most people evaluate favor to have to do with being cushy. And yet these people upon whom his favor rests are going to experience genocide for the next two years as they try to kill the Christ. And within 70 years, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Upon peace, upon whom my favor rest you see Christ came into the middle of a broken world Christ was born on a night when everything in the world around him was broken Caesar was raising the taxes Pilate was killing people Herod was in cahoots with all of them the priests were corrupt the Sadducees the Pharisees and the zealots couldn't pass any kind of legislature there were droughts, there were plagues, there was leprosy, immorality, there was despair, and the temple was in a mess. The world was broken, but there was breaking news in the horizon. 
The best time for there to be breaking news from on high is when the world beneath it is broken. You and I are living in the midst of a broken world, but I've got news for you. There's an angelic voice that's shouting peace on earth. You see, the only thing that's going to bring any kind of healing to you and I is not something that's contrived in D.C. or wherever your state house is in New York. It will not be contrived by the CDC. But there is a sound coming from on high. There is a host of heavenly angels that even today is saying the government of his peace will have no end. What it takes to heal the trauma of humanity is the presence of the Christ. Because peace is not the absence of conflict, nor is it the sensation of feeling good. Peace is the presence of the Most High God that comes to make Himself known in the midst of the traumatic stress that we are experiencing so that He and He alone can bring a sense of wholeness to us. This Christmas message is not just because it's Christmas and it's coming and you've got whatever. It's the message to the world. Peace on earth. Peace to you. Shalom. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. All the necessary resources are yours. Peace is when God makes everything work together for your good. To live in this kind of peace that is announced on... In other words, you've got to be high to hear it. I, 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 I'm serious. Peace upon whom my favor rests. See, until you know you are highly favored, you'll never hear this report. Until you know that God loves you unconditionally, irrevocably, undeniably. Until you know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And that no matter how dark the world gets, that God is always stepping into your trauma in order to make things right that have been wrong. He comes to bring justice and righteousness. He comes to work for you and not against you. And when you have got a hold of that favor, you're about to hear breaking news from heaven. And most people are so concerned about what's going on in the world that they have forgotten that you are favored. You are highly favored. He'll never leave you. He will chase you out of the garden. He'll run you down in the midst of a fiery furnace. He'll follow you into the den of iniquity. He'll find you in the sea of sin and offer to give his life for you because he'll never let go of you. Peace to you. On earth, come a little higher, turn off some of the news, and listen for the sound of the angelic host saying, peace be to you. Shalom, shalom. Isaiah had prophesied it. The angels are now announcing it. The favor of God is upon us. His increase in his government his wholeness, his goodness, his completedness, his well-being, his salvation is to you to the traumatized, to the abused, to the marginalized, to the forgotten, to the left out, to the broken down. And yes, dare I say it, to people of the wrong race, to people of the wrong birth, of the wrong country, to the, am I making any sense? God doesn't come just to bring peace to this chosen people. He comes to make peace to the Gentiles, the unchosen people. He comes to make peace 
in the areas of life where we have been unable to negotiate it or compromise to obtain it, he comes to do it with his presence. That in his presence, those issues that we've been unable to resolve will be resolved because of his presence. We need his presence in our lives. More than we need somebody's opinions or ideas or spin on the thing, we just simply need the presence of God to show up in the midst of our life. Glory to God on the highest and peace to those upon whom his favor rests. You see, the enemy hates the image of God. The enemy hates the image of God. He hates the image of God. And so if he can point out a difference between Bill and I, if he can point out some kind of a difference between me and Bill, I'll begin to diminish the value of Bill based on the differences that I see between us. And if I see a big enough difference, then I'll begin to, well, I'll begin to try to pass laws that'll keep me protected from this person that's different than I am. In other words, the enemy will begin to work through me to diminish the image of God. Because I've decided that I'm closer to the image of God than that. And if, I, if, if the enemy can get me to dislike and to hate another image of God, then he succeeds. I'm not making any sense to the... And that's traumatic to a sensitive fellow like Bill. He feels rejected. He feels outcast. He, he feels pain. Maybe even stress. Post-traumatic. Maybe even generationally. Because this hate that I have because he's different from me was passed on to me from my and that's built over hundreds of years. And we don't just hate Bill. We hate Bill's people. Hate. Sadducees hate Pharisees. Romans hate Jews. Jews hate Gentiles. I'm, I'm, right? World's broken. Hmm. And finally, Bill gets fed up with it. And he hits me in the mouth. Right? And so now then, not only do I hate him, he hates me. And now we have a stronghold. Now we have a principality and a power and a ruler in high places. Because one image of God hates another image of God. And Satan's work is at hand. <laughs> and somehow we, the church, have forgotten what our response to that should be. Come on. Come on. Right? We have forgotten the power of our response. For my weapons are not carnal for the pulling down, but they are mighty through God. 
that when I pray in the name of the almighty Jesus Christ, oh, you're not here, that I can war against principalities and powers and rulers of high places, and I can tear down those constructs, constructs that have put man against man and God against, oh, you're not listening to me. And so the heavens open up and God says, peace. I'm going to make justice reign where unrighteousness has been. And I'm going to set the balances together. And you're going to learn to love one another, not because you're Jew or Gentile or Roman, but because I'm God of every man, woman, boy, girl. Peace on earth. (laughs) what's the answer to the last couple of years well it's the same answer it's been for thousands of years it's the presence of the prince of peace upon whose government there will be no end who will pull justice and righteousness am i making am i just see christianity is not a theory it's not a tree with a light bulb on it (laughs) it's life It's how the God that created us comes to restore us. It's how the God created come to make us realize that He loves us, thus we should love one another. And that if we see any differences in one another, it's because what you are is what I need. And what I am, you need. And that we're not whole unless we're together. And that unless we're willing to think on different than the way we've been thinking. Until we're willing to be challenged by those things that we've allowed to rule and separate and divide. What's going on with COVID? It has revealed all the junk. Oh, well. It's just revealed junk. We've wanted to social distance for years and didn't have the guts to do it. We've wanted to stay at home for years. We haven't wanted to shake hands. We didn't want to cross the street to touch the light. It's been in our hearts all we needed was a good excuse. I'm going to get back up here. Israel was traumatized. I mean, they had been overrun by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Maccabees, and now the Romans. And even after Christ's death and resurrection, they're going to be overrun by the Byzantines. And then they're going to be overrun by the return of the Persians. And then there's going to be the Arabs and the Crusaders and the Maluks, and eventually the Ottoman Empire is going to arise in the early 19th century. And World War I is going to break out. Israel, of all people, knows what it is to live traumatized, in bondage, under, under the captivity of another, be dispersed all over the world. They know what it is to be a people who are chosen and yet rejected. People who God's done everything for, and yet they've turned their back on Him and one another, and the world thinks they're the scum of the earth and will kill six million of them in the mid-20th century. 
traumatized. Peace. See, I, I realize that even as I preach this message, some of you are going to go, it can't be that simple. Well, but it is. The only way to bring real healing to trauma is to bring peace to the people who have been traumatized. Peace on the inside. and Peace on the outside. That prayer that causes us to have a different point of view of whom we're pr- Have you ever been praying and you're mad at somebody and in the middle of it you're going, oh, Jesus, just love them. Yeah. I mean, a while ago you wanted to kill them. <laughs> kill them. I mean, I love David. Take a rock and kill him. Oh, God, make them my brother. Oh, my God. Prayer will completely alter you. That's why we try to get you to do it. This prince of peace was born in Acts chapter 10, 36, says, and the word of God was sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 17 says he came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those that were near. Say peace to all, the in and the out. Ephesians 2, 14 says he himself is our peace. Say he is. He is love. He is peace. He is my life. He comes to make peace. And the only way he's going to make peace is not to defeat my enemy, but to die for me and my enemy. To reconcile us to himself and in the reconciliation of him to me, meaning he died for my sins, he's going to die for their sins, now he's died for everybody's sins, and guess what that makes us? All in the same boat. Forgiven. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because he saw the value in each one of us. And if he sees the value in each one of us to the degree that he would die on a cross for each one of us, then it's up to us to be able to see the value in every one of ours. We must now begin to understand that he came to heal the trauma of humanity. That he came to bring peace between me and my wife, between me and my friend, between me and my neighbor, my brother, my enemy, Europe, Russia, Mexico, that this peace knows no bounds, that this peace cannot stop for my politic takes over, that this peace must be allowed to permeate through my assumptions of faith. You know, there's two things that keep people from experiencing true healing. To experience the true restoration of being one with God, of being formed like God. There's two things. Number one, we're too big of a hurry. We got to get to the next ball game. We got to get this room painted. We got to, listen, there's so much going on at work, Pastor. I just can't be there. Uh, there, uh, uh, We're too, we're in a rush that we can't slow down and learn how to just Breathe in and breathe. Have you ever tried to meditate? I'm just asking. Have you ever tried to just sit silently with yourself? It's hard to do if you don't like yourself. It's hard to sit silently with yourself if you really can't stand yourself. I'm mean, just saying. But have you ever really tried to just sit silently and maybe try to ask God to help you slow down? I just need... Just kind of slow down. You see, and have you ever tried that? 
and you remember the trash. Right? It comes every Tuesday. Or, or you remember, you know, that, that project, that thing you were supposed to do that you didn't get done. And if you don't get that project, how many got excellent memory while you're trying to meditate on Jesus? I mean, it's amazing the distractions that come. Anybody have those distractions? And, you know, after about five minutes, you went just, oh, well, just forget it. I'm lousy at this. God does. I'm so sorry. I'm ADD. And you just, and, and, then, and then preachers start talking about you. Yeah, I tried that once. I'm just, I stink at it. And you feel bad, right? You feel bad because you can't focus on. Let me twist this a little bit. Have you ever been distracted? Yes. And then you went back. Not one time did he go, you dummy. Why did you get so distracted? Not one time. You know what he always does? So good to see you, Bill. I knew you'd return. Instead of focusing on us being distracted, let's focus, focus on the steadfast, relentless love of a father that is always waiting for you to return your attention. Can I tell you, I am still as distracted as I've ever been, but every time I get distracted, I look forward to the return. And so today I brag about how patient he is with me and my never-ending distractions. You see, I, I have to tell you that until we can at least work through the reality that we're human. You know, any of you get distracted? Yeah. You're human! You're not a sinner. You're not trash. You're just human you're a child and last time I checked he said if you'd become like a child you could enter in over and over <laughs> see to become aware of his presence by returning and returning and returning to be in right standing with him I'm in right standing with Annie nearly 45 years. And she likes me some days. Some seasons. See, we get this idea that if you're in right standing, you like each other all the time. Not really. See, we're in right standing, which means I can always return. Which means the door is always open. But that doesn't mean that we always see eye to eye. That doesn't mean that she and I agree on how to raise those 12 grandchildren. I mean, I think we ought to be able to put flour dough all over the new countertop and cut out these little things. And she walks into the kitchen and goes, oh my God. <laughs> I'm not on the top of her list at that moment. See, to be in right standing does not mean we agree on everything. To be in right standing is to know that even when we disagree or see things from a different perspective, that that doesn't mean you're going to hell. That doesn't make you evil. And one of the things that so traumatized our culture in the last couple of years is if you disagree with me, you're just evil. Are you getting this yet? He comes 
to reconcile us, he became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God, that we might be in right standing with people we don't even agree with. That we might be in right standing with even our enemies. That we could live in righteousness and justice. That's peace. Isaiah 32, 17 says, And the effects of righteousness is quietness and peace and undisturbed places of rest. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to live at peace within oneself, even though others might see it differently than we do. Am I making any sense? It's the ability to live in a very diverse culture and respect everybody's opinion. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's really what I think we need to hear this year. In this place, in my house, in your house, in our homes. Peace. I have such high respect for people that see things differently than I do. To live in that silence and to allow God to... I, I was on vacation a few months ago on this beautiful beach with this lagoon in Mexico. And it's just lovely. I'm sitting on the beach and there's white sand, there's blue ocean. And I, I open my eyes and the Lord says, you're going to live here. And I said, where's Annie going? Because <laughs> I realized she ain't leaving them grandkids. So I shake it off, you know, as sunstroke. And, <laughs> and I walk out into the lagoon and I turn around and look at the palm trees and the stucco. And the Lord says, you're going to live here. I'm going to get behind me or in front. And I go back and I fall asleep on a beach. Anybody ever fell asleep on a beach? Wow. <laughs> and I wake up and the Lord says, you're going to live here. And I go, you got to quit playing with me. He says, you're going to live in undisturbed places of rest. You're going to live in my peace. The things that used to disturb you are no longer going to disturb you. The things that you worried about, you're no longer going to worry about. That you're going to see me working even in the midst of the greatest conflicts that this world has ever known. You're going to see that the Prince of Peace is going to rule and bring order into the governments of this world. Not because they've deserved it or because they've earned it. But because it is my good will that men that live here would have my peace and my faith. Peace, this integrity. I'm going to get on a plane on Tuesday. They're going to fly at 37,542 feet, according to the manifest. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. They built Boeing planes in Wichita, Kansas. And every time I get ready to get on a plane, my dad would go, you know, that sucker's built by a low bidder. I hope the riveter was sober, you know. <laughs> Low bidder. Did you know that, that when that plane gets to 37,400 and some odd feet, that there's great pressure on the outside of that fuselage? And that if the air pressure on the inside of that fuselage doesn't match the pressure that's on the outside of that fuselage, 
It's called integrity. See, peace will never be made manifest in the world around you until peace has transformed you on the inside. See, peace begins when the God on the inside equals or is greater than the pressure that's on the outside. Peace be unto you upon whom my favor rests. When the peace of God so fills your soul that no matter what happens on your left or your right, there is something stronger pushing out than there is pushing in. Peace be unto Salem this morning. Peace be unto you. May all your worries and your troubles and your, and your prejudices and your preferences, may they be dispelled by the presence of the living God that fills up the soul of every human being and pushes back against the pressure of the world. Yes. Wow. Yes. I could say the same thing about a submarine. You take one of them submarines and you put it way underwater and there's not enough pressure in that submarine. Not a pretty picture. Have you ever seen people that look like they've been underwater? Peace, peace, peace on earth upon whom my favor rests. My peace, not as the world gives, my peace, not as the world gives, but my peace I give unto you. Say with me, I just receive it. I think I'll just stand right here and I just I'll receive his peace peace that passes understanding, his peace that pressurizes my life to stand against the pressures of the world, his peace that makes me stronger on the inside than the things on the outside, his peace. I'll receive that. Peace. And he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And suddenly the Prince of Peace that was announced over the little city of Bethlehem. Now that peace is bring breathed into you. And he'll say, let not your heart be troubled. Yeah. Oh. Oh, let, let, let. One translation says, stop being so agitated. <laughs> For I have robbed this world of its ability to do you harm. Come on, just say it. His peace is my peace. Therefore, I choose not to be troubled. Breathe in and breathe out. I am not going to be troubled by the things of this world. Am I making any sense? I'm going to breathe in His peace. I'm going to breathe out His praise. And I'm going to restore the integrity of my life. I'm going to restore the integrity of my life. Merry Christmas. That peace that's transferable. He transfers it. Is irreversible. For Isaiah will say, my kindness and my covenant of peace, I will never remove from you. It's irreversible. It's transferable. And oh my God, is it powerful. <sighs> peace. And the storm was stilled. You see, peace is the most powerful weapon. It's more powerful than a nuclear weapon. It's more powerful than hate. 
It's more powerful than COVID. It's more powerful than panic. It's more powerful than any ism you want to say to me. Peace is a weapon of mass destruction of hate. Peace. Be still. And may the God of peace soon crush Satan under your feet. Peace is not passive. Peace is a powerful reality that once you obtain it on the inside, that peace can be transmitted and permeated throughout the world around you, bringing all people together. Oh, you're not listening to me. I don't have to march. I don't have to counter-march. I don't have to cuss. I don't have to negotiate. I don't have to debate. I don't have to make compromises. And I don't have to vote for them. All I got to do is find peace. That was gifted to me on the inside. And when I find peace for myself, I can release peace for you. And for you. And for you. The church must recover the Christ story. Peace on earth upon whom my favor rests. And transmit that peace to one another. Hmm. Peace. Peace. And then as he stood on the shore of Galilee, peace, as the Father sent me, so I send you. For blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the daughters, the children of God. He didn't say peacekeepers. Hmm. Peacekeepers are empowered to enforce rules that protect me from you. Oh, let me say it again. Peacekeepers are empowered by rules that were created to protect me from people I don't like. Peacemakers are different from peacekeepers. Peacemakers step in and say, Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. Peacemakers lay down their lives. Peacemakers die to themselves and for others. Peacemakers surrender their rights to maintain their right standing. Listen, I've listened to the same stuff you've listened to for two years. Peacemakers surrender their rights to remain in right standing with those that are different from them. We're called to be peacemakers. This truth has so altered my life that I find myself, and you will too, I find myself getting ready to respond to a conversation and I'll realize, oh, that's not making peace. I get ready to, to like something on Facebook and go, oh, that's, that's not making peace. This little old pastor from Kansas is just here to say to you, Merry Christmas. Peace be unto you. May the peace on the inside of you be greater than the pressure on the outside. May that peace heal your trauma, remove your pain, And may you move throughout this season 
and become a peacemaker. Stand with me this morning. Burning inside my soul in the last few months has been this hope, this dream that we could find peace. It's a great prayer. Will you pray it with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, Grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive, and it is in the forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Did you get something out of this morning? Can I tell you that my real prayer is that you'll just go live that. So just live it in your families and in your church. That uh, beacon would begin to go, hey, you know, there's a group of people over there. They really are making peace with themselves, with their community. Every time I go there, I just feel such peace. Every time I get around those people, I just feel so peaceful. People come to Christmas dinner and they go, there's such peace in your house. Right? That there would be a refuge of peace around us. That we wouldn't get drawn into... Thank you, Father. Most Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by the things I have left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart nor my neighbor as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us and cleanse us that we might walk in your way and delight in your will. In Jesus' name. Turn to somebody this morning and say, in his name, you're forgiven. Hallelujah. Oh, no, no. Turn to somebody and say, no, 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 you're free. Oh, turn and say, you're beautiful unique I need to know you better than I've ever known you could we have coffee I need to know your story oh you're not listening to me it isn't just you're forgiven you get to go to heaven it's I want to know you 
I forgive you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to know who you are. It's too easy to go, oh, you're forgiven. No, let me share my life with you. That's what he's saying. Let me share my life with you. So we'll do it Bishop Q's way and the Kansas way. On the night of his betrayal, he took bread and he blessed it. Father, we thank you. We bless this bread. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of my new covenant. It's my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, you declare my death. Father, send your Holy Spirit upon these gifts. Those in my hands those in the hands of the people that are here, those in the hands of the people that are at home. Send your spirit upon these gifts and make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ. Send your spirit upon us that we, Father, would be more than just independent, but that, Father, we would be joined together as the body of the living Christ and that through us the world would know you as we would pray the common prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them by faith in your heart and may his peace overwhelm you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.